What's up, Buffalonians? It's your boy, Nick English. If you want the facts, the stats, and all the sports info in the 716, you have come to the right place. This is English Encore, Buffalo's favorite sports channel. I'm your host, Nick English. Appreciate everyone who's been tuning in for these Spotify episodes, and I greatly appreciate all of those who took the time to enter my jersey giveaway, help me out, get me some followers. Um, I finally got over that 200 hump, so I greatly appreciate those who entered. Um, congratulations to the three winners that I had, and I look forward to doing more jersey giveaways and other giveaways in the future. I have some great things in the works. Hopefully, I'm actually be able to announce another giveaway in just a few weeks. If you haven't done so already, please go and give my Instagram page a follow at English Encore Podcast, all one word. You can check out all of my live sessions I've been doing there in the IGTV section. You can check out the one I did this past Wednesday with Matt Beauvais from Channel 7 in Buffalo. Some really great Sabres conversations there. Um, talking about, you know, is it actually realistic if Jack Eichel uh, to want to trade? Talking about free agency as well as the draft and kind of the state of the Buffalo Sabres and Matt's opinions on that. So go ahead and go check that out. Today I'm be continuing the end of my list for one player from each NHL team. That's a free agent the Sabres should look to sign. I only have about seven teams left to get through, so we're going to finish that today. I'm going to be talking about which Bills players in fantasy you want to draft and which ones to avoid. And then finally, with all of the things going on in the AFC East outside of the Bills, I'm going to talk about why it would be a huge, huge disappointment now if the Bills cannot win the AFC East, and why, if they don't do that, we should have some serious questions. So starting off with the Sabres. So last week, I ended with the San Jose Sharks talking about signing Aaron Dell to a one-year deal to kind of replace Carter Hutton. Today, I'm be starting off with the St. Louis Blues, and the most ideal free agent for the Sabres to sign would be Alex Petrangelo on a five-year, $38 million deal. This would honestly be a dream signing for the Sabres. He would immediately fit in with a young core of Okiaru and Dalene. I know you'd have to free up some cap space, but as I mentioned before, doing this for a few this is assuming you have the cap space to get these players. Um, I think that would just reassure your back end, really help out Linus Allmark, um, a guy that is accountable in his own zone, more so than you know Aristoline or Montour. He brings great leadership, Stanley Cup experience. Um, I think he'd help Jack Eichel out a lot in the leadership role. I think he'd be an instant assistant captain for the Sabres if you brought him in. And I just think that he would change um, a lot of things for the Sabres. I think you'd allow a lot less goals. You'd have another guy you could add to your power play unit. He's going to get the puck in and out of the zone very quickly. Allow like guys such as Eichel, Skinner, Olofsson, um, those players to get into the open ice quicker. And I just think he brings a little bit more accountability. I think sometimes with the Sabres, when you watch their games, outside of Jack and a few of the other players, especially on the defensive end because they're so young, there isn't as much accountability. Um, I was a big fan of Jake McKay before the year. I thought this was probably his worst season. But I just didn't like that he never really took the accountability that I thought he should have for his poor play. When he was with talking to the media, I felt like he was very disrespectful at times saying that the media was bringing the negativity into the locker room. But from a, 
from a player of that stature who's an assistant captain on an NHL team and has been with this organization for so long, you have to understand from a fan and media perspective, you haven't won or done anything here. So don't be blaming the media for, you know, the team's poor players saying they're bringing in negative energy into your locker room. Like, no, you're doing that yourself. A guy like Petrangelo would help in, you know, owning up to mistakes and um, just being better with the media and telling it how it is and be more accountable and holding people, especially defensemen, accountable in their own zone. So I think that'd be a great signing for them. Um, next is from Tampa. Patrick Maroon on a two-year, $2 million deal. Maroon's obviously towards the end of his career, but I think that's another guy you can bring in. He's going to be your third, fourth-line grinder who's kind of just a change of pace from the guys you've had with Gergensen's Larson, Oposo in your bottom six. You just need to bring in more veteran guys and change up that bottom six group, as I've talked about so many times. He's been in the Stanley Cup. He's won a Stanley Cup. Um, I think he's just another leadership guy you want to bring in. He's still capable of putting the puck in the net and getting you anywhere from 15 to 25 points every single year, if not more, if you're lucky. So I think he'd be a great signing. Then from the Toronto Maple Leafs, I think Cody Ceci would also be a great fit. Not only do you get to steal him from your one of your biggest rivals, I think he would fit well in with the Sabres. I have them signing him to a three-year, $15 million deal. Um, not too long term for him just because um, I still haven't seen the production on the offensive end that I would have liked to have seen from Ceci yet. But overall, I think his game would translate well um, to this Sabres team. Um, he's a guy that moves the puck in and out of the zone quickly, kind of like Petrangelo does as well. But um, CeCe's a very good skater, and I think he would you know, complement some players on his team very well too. And then one of my personal favorites from the free agency standpoint, um, I talked about it with Matt Beauvais actually uh, on Wednesday, was from the Canucks is Tyler Toffoli. Um, I think he'd be an ideal uh, center for the Sabres to go out and get. Um, I think he's more of a third-line um, center, to be quite honest with you. But where the Sabres are at right now, and me and Matt talked about it, and not wanting to rush Dylan Cousins into that second-line center role, Toffoli could be a great placeholder. Um, Matt probably talks about him more as being a two-year deal guy to kind of be that placeholder. Um, I would like to sign him up for a little bit longer term just because even if Cousins in two years is able to replace him, Toffoli sliding down to your third line, wouldn't be terrible at all. Um, he had a very nice, uh, he's had a very nice career so far. This is his first year um, in Vancouver after being dealt from the um, Los Angeles Kings. And he's a guy that puts up a good amount of points. Um, he's put up 58 points at one time in his career in 2015-16. Other than that, he's a consistent 40-point guy. Um, obviously, he's like a little more production at that number two center role, but I think with the Sabres where he's going to get a little bit more of an opportunity um, to be a second line center and probably play with a guy like Reinhardt or Skinner. I think that production could potentially go up, but he's scored 20 plus goals four times. And that's exactly what the Sabres need. They need guys to put the puck in the net. As I've talked about so many times, um, I think he would slot in immediately to that number two cousins would be your number three. Then I think they would still need to add another center for that fourth line. Or if you could even add, um, another center above Toffoli, that'd be great. But I think that's just another guy, good playoff experience, would complement Eichel well. And I actually think he would feed off of Sam Reinhart very well if they were to play together on the second line. Um, from Vegas, 
there wasn't too many free agents on Vegas that um, I was overly excited about. Um, I had the Sabres signing John Merrill to a one-year um, $2.2 million deal. Um, I haven't really watched too much on him. I know that he's a pretty solid player. He's a left-handed shot defenseman. Um, he's played for the Devils and the Golden Knights so far. But he's capable of putting up you know, 10 to 15 points a year for a defenseman. Um, he's usually always been good for plus minus, especially over the past three years. He's been a plus seven, plus 16, plus nine guy. That's really going to be a lockdown in your defensive zone. He's really going to be your third pair guy or that um, last defenseman. That's going to be rotating in and out. He's played the, the most games he's ever played was in 2014, 15 with the devils. He played 66. Other than that, he's been playing around 50 games. So, Maybe he gets a little bit more of opportunity here in Buffalo, but um, he'll really be a third-line guy. Just another um, experienced defenseman to come in and replace a guy like Jake McCabe, who I think has a little more um, upside than him. And then the big signing from the Capitals that I had the Sabres doing, this is if they wanted to go all-in, would be signing Braden Holpe to a six-year, $39.5 million deal. Obviously, that's a lot of money to give a goaltender, but it's something the Sabres drastically need. Um, if they did this move, it almost reminds me of how the Sabres would be back in around 2011, their last playoff appearance when they had Ryan Miller pretty much in Vesna form. Um, Hopi is one of the best goaltenders, if not the best goaltender in the NHL, and he'd be able to win you just a handful of games by himself, and the Sabres could probably squeak into a playoff spot with his play. And Jack Eichel, you know, fueling the offensive side of the puck. A little bit of a down year. I know he dealt with some injuries this year on a shortened season as well. But, I mean, you just look at his career and games. He's playing 60 to 65 games almost every year. You know, putting up 48, 9, and 7. 42 wins, 13 losses. 34 wins, 16 losses. He hasn't had a below 500 record ever in his NHL career yet. Um, he's been putting up pretty much 30 plus wins every single year I think he instantly solves the Sabres goaltending problems the only reason you probably wouldn't make this signing is because you do have a great prospect in Uka Pekalukkanen waiting in Rochester however he's probably still another two three years away from wanting to give him the full-time reins for the Sabres or even two three years away from giving him you know a 50-50 split kind of like they had with Hutton Allmark so if you lock Hopi up on a six-year deal, you can pretty much plan on him being your long-term starter for the next three to four years before Ukapekalukkanen really even comes up and starts seeing some time. I think that move would be very beneficial to Sabres. It would definitely create some cap space problems, especially when it comes time to sign guys like Dali and Okiaru. But if you're able to get guys like Oposo and some other players off the books or even move on from a guy like Skinner or Reinhardt if you decide to go that route, um, I think it'd be a good option. And then the last one for the list is from the Winnipeg Jets. I have them offering Jack Roslovich three-year, $14 million deal. Um, just a really solid second, third-line player that the Sabres could depend on for some more offensive scoring, something they continue to, to need. He's only been in the NHL for four years now. He's continually increased his point totals each and every year. He had 29 points this year, 12 goals. 17 assists for 29 points and plus four rating. He's not going to guy that's going to wow you um, in any sense, but if he continues trending in this direction, he'll be a, I think 35, 40 point guy 
um, for most of his career. And if you can slot that into your third line to play with a Marcus Johansson, I think that'd be great. Um, Rosvich does play center. He's played a little bit of winger before too, but he's primarily a center. So I think he would slot in to be that third line guy. I definitely don't think he'd be your number two, but for number three option, I think it'd be um, a very good signing. Um, moving on to some Bills fantasy talk. So with fantasy season coming up, you know, the NFL season's still planning to go on. So I'm still going to act as if we're going to have some fantasy football. I have a few drafts coming up. So I'd like to talk about just, you know, the Bills players, where they're ranked as far as ESPN goes right now and where I think they should probably go in the rounds if they're worth the pick, if they're not worth the pick. Starting off with Josh Allen, he's ranked quarterback eight for ESPN. I think Josh can finish anywhere from QB five to QB 10. The big thing with Josh is he's not going to throw for a ton of yards, but his rushing ability alone makes him a great fantasy option, especially in PPR. I feel like Josh runs for 50, 60 yards almost every game, and he's going to get you 9 to 10 rushing touchdowns in addition to his 200, 250 passing, and hopefully even larger this year, taking that big step year three and getting some more touchdowns as well. So I think Josh is definitely a top-tier quarterback for fantasy. Now, I don't think he's a top-five round pick. The top-five-round guys are going to be guys like Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, but that second tier of quarterbacks, you know, round six through 10, him, Kyler Murray, some of those other guys, um, Dak Prescott, Deshaun Watson, Aaron Rodgers, I think he fits right into that tier. Um, looking at the running backs for the Bills, excuse me, you have Devin Singletary and Zach Moss. Devin Singletary is ranked the 22nd running back, while Zach Moss is 46. I think Devin Singletary is actually a little bit low. I think he's more towards the 16 to 20 range more than 22 um obviously it's not a huge difference but i think he's really going to be the workhorse for the bills he's going to be the guy that's going to be catching passes out of the backfield from josh and i think what they fed into josh's mind last year was it's okay to take the check down more often than just trying to go for the deep shots i think you saw that as the season progressed hence why his interception numbers went down was he was willing to dump it off to his tight ends and running backs a little bit more um, than he did in the past. Devin Singletary is a very capable receiver out of the backfield. You saw it in a lot of games, especially against Washington and the Philadelphia Eagles last year and in the playoff game against the Texans. Very capable, especially when he gets in the open field of making guys miss. I think him being the go-to guy is only going to increase his production compared to last year when the first three, four weeks. Um, he did put up numbers fantasy-wise, but he wasn't even the main guy. They were really trying to have Frank Gore be the guy and ease him into that role. He also dealt with an injury to start the year with his hamstring. So I think with him fully healthy, um, he could finish as a low-end RB2 and a high-end flex play this year for the Bills um, in fantasy. Zach Moss, I think, is just going to be you know, a potential flex play in some weeks. really depends on... Um, Devin Singletary, Moss is definitely going to be a guy who's going to get some um, red zone looks to punch it in. So he'll almost be that vulture like Mike Tober used to be back in the day for fantasy. Um, I think Moss is a great handcuff to have if you own Devin Singletary, just in case injury or production isn't there. Um, I wouldn't expand a high pick on him at all. He's going to be a guy you select probably in the last four to five rounds. Dynasty-wise, he's probably a guy you want to take pretty early probably first four or five rounds but 
um, from a PPR, just regular fantasy perspective. I definitely think he's a late round pick. Stephon Diggs is ranked wide receiver 28. John Brown is wide receiver 41. And Cole Beasley is unrated in the top 70 for ESPN. Um, Cole Beasley is interesting. I definitely think he should be ranked. He's probably in the 55 to 65 range personally. He's going to be a guy that I don't think he'll put up a ton of touchdowns. But I actually think he's going to put up more catches per game because of Diggs and Brown being on the outside and um, coveting more um, guys to them with over-the-top safety where Beasley's going to have more linebackers on him. So I think that's an advantage to him. I know he's dealing with an injury right now. I think he's a low-end um, flex play. I think he'll probably be a guy that'll get you six to eight points each week, potentially put up you know 12 to 17 on certain weeks if he has a couple touchdowns. Um, John Brown, I think, is way too low at wide receiver 41. I think he's more of a wide receiver 33 to 35. Um, he showed last year he could put up the numbers. He was a 1,000-yard receiver, six touchdowns. And I think he's actually going to have better production and more yardage um, with probably an increased amount of touchdowns as well because of the addition to Stephon Diggs because John Brown was doing all of that against cornerback ones last year. And now with Diggs there, he's going to be drawing a lot of cornerback two matchups, and I think that's a great advantage for the Bills. Um, I think Stephon Diggs is a little bit low. Um, I wouldn't say it's super low um, just because of all the great wide receivers that there are in the NFL. I think Stephon Diggs overall is a top 10 wide receiver in the NFL from a fantasy perspective. He's probably in the 22 to 25 range personally just because you have to take into account he has to get the chemistry with Josh Allen down. He is going to be going up against some tough quarterback matchups um, like Stephon Gilmore twice a year. But I think once him and Josh get the chemistry down, he'll easily be a 1,000-yard receiver. I have him anywhere from 8 to 10 touchdowns this year. Um, I think he is easily a wide receiver 2 with wide receiver 1, um, very high upside. He's probably a lower-tier wide receiver 1. Um, I wouldn't want him as my wide receiver 1 if you're in, you know, like a 10 to 12-man league. But, you know, in an eight-man league, he could definitely be your wide receiver one. You'd be able to get away with it. Um, he'll be a guy that'll probably put up 12 to 15 points per week, in my opinion. Um, just based on, I think he'll probably t t get targeted eight to ten times per game by Josh. So, I think he's around there. Dawson Knox is an interesting at the tight end position. He's ranked tight end 29. He's probably tight end 25 to 29. Um, 30 range so I think he's probably right around where he is he's definitely not a starting tight end but he definitely could be um, a boom bust player where he's gonna get a lot of red zone targets he has to fix his drop issues from last year but he's definitely a guy in late rounds you could take a waiver on same thing with kind of like Moss um, from a dynasty perspective I think he'd be a good pickup long term and then finally Bill's defense they're ranked third defense speaks for itself Bill's top five defense in fantasy almost every year um, they do a a lot of great things, get a lot of sacks and turnovers. Trey White's continuing to ascend. Um, I think the Josh Norman addition is actually very big. The Bills have the best safety duo, in my opinion, and Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer in the league. And they're going to continue doing their thing, getting tackles. I've had a lot of Bills players for individual defensive player leagues, if you do that. Um, a lot of the Bills players like Poyer, Hyde, Tremaine Edmonds are great guys to have, even Matt Milano. I think Ed Oliver is going to continue to ascend as well. And then the final thing I just want to touch on briefly before um, the episode's over today, um, looking at what's happened in the Bills division, and I talked about this a little bit at the end of my conversation with Matt Bovey on Wednesday. 
on my live stream. So the Bills are one step away from becoming a great team. With everything going on in the division right now, the Jets just traded Jamal Adams. C.J. Mosley has opted out for the year. They just cut an offensive lineman that was a starter for them last year. You look at the Patriots, there's no more Tom Brady. Kyle Van Noy's on the Dolphins. Patrick Chung and Hightower have both opted out for playing this year. So those teams are both weekend. Miami still is up and coming, but are definitely one of the weaker teams in your division and the conference. This is the time for the Bills to win the AFC East. If you can't do it with all of this going on, how you know injury struck the Patriots are and losing players well, the Jets losing arguably their top two players on defense, and they still haven't gotten Sam Darnold a lot of help on the offensive side of the ball, coped with a young and up-and-coming Miami team where Tua is most likely not going to play this year. If you can't win the division with all of that going on, you are in deep trouble, and we are a lot farther away than what we should be. The Bills right now are a good team. The Bills need to become a great team. The Bills have made up two out of the past three years for the playoffs under Sean McDermott. Now it's getting there and winning games. You know, the first time was kind of a surprise, fluke, whatever you want to call it, ending the drought. The second year you were rebuilding, getting Allen, and then you built up for that third year. You could have gone 11-5 and if you really needed to play the Jets game, but you went 10-6, and went to the playoffs, blew a 16-point lead, um, went to overtime where you should have won but got kind of screwed by some calls and then just didn't make some tackles on defense. Now you need to take that next step. You have to keep, you know, trending in the direction like everyone wants to. And the Bills have made it known that they want to win the AFC East and they expect to. So for the Bills to do that, to become a great team, you need to win 85 to 100% of your games against teams that are below 500 or the bad teams in the league. You have to win 65 to 70% of games where you're facing a team above 500 or a great team in the league. And then you need a 50-50 split against the elite. So I'm looking at the Bills schedule. I'm looking at the 49ers, the Seahawks, the Kansas City Chiefs, you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers who have a great defense, the Patriots still because you haven't knocked them off yet. You have to win half of those games and show you belong. Then you have to, you should go 5-1 and one at the minimum in your division. Um, if you can go 6-0, and great, but you should go 5-1. and You should beat the Dolphins twice, you should beat the Jets twice, and you should split or beat the Patriots twice. You have to get over that hump and beat New England. You have to split with the Kansas Cities, the Pittsburghs of the world, the Chargers, the more elite teams in the AFC to show you're worthy. And then against the stronger NFC teams like the 49ers, the Seahawks, um, the Cardinals, who I think are going to be very good, you have to win those games to show that you're becoming a great team. And then become to an elite team, you have to consistently be beating those guys. Last year, the Bills were in striking distance and lost a lot of those games against elite teams by seven or less points. But they weren't. some of those games really weren't competitive. Like the Ravens game, yes, we only lost by seven and we contained Lamar, but our offense didn't really do anything. You have to take that next step. And if the Bills can't do that the way the AFC East is this year, I'd be a little bit concerned um, as far as trending in the right direction but I think the Bills will do it um, and I think they're going to be on the right track and I think that they will win um, the AFC East and go 11-5 and as I predicted earlier with my schedule prediction but 
That's going to do it for today's episode. Thank you for everyone for tuning in. Hope everyone is staying safe and healthy. Um, like I said, please follow me on Instagram at English Encore Podcast. Watch any of my old live streams. My link to my Spotify is in the description. Check out my new logo. Hoping to get um, some big news coming out in the next couple of weeks for you guys. Um, it's going to be for a giveaway and also just a really cool thing for me personally. I'm continuing to look for some live guests. Um, hopefully, I have one lined up for next week. Um, this weekend, I'm still up in the air. I'm still talking to a few people, but I will let you guys know um, later in the week, Thursday or Friday, when I record my next episode, if I'm going to be having one or not. So tune in on Friday. I'll be talking about you know the NBA, NHL playoffs starting up, what teams I think are going to have the best chance to win overall, and then you know just some other things going around around other major sports. So thank you all for tuning in. Greatly appreciate all the support as always, and I hope everyone enjoys their week, and I hope to have you all tune in on Friday. This has been English Encore Podcast, Buffalo's favorite sports channel. Yeah.